Um, for those of you coming in late, I um, announced this week by email and also uh, during the announcements this morning that um, we have, the Philly has have been discerning God's direction in our life and we feel like uh, the Lord is leading us to accept the call to uh, Pastor Grace Church in Normal, Illinois. And I wanted to address uh, kind of briefly a few thoughts about that and, and about this church. And then I do want to preach a sermon this morning. Um, I'm going to get to that. So um, I guess what I wanted to say is we, this week has been a, a roller coaster of emotions, um, a lot of sadness, a lot of the ups and downs, and I know that's because we feel so strongly for everybody in this church. Uh, we came here six years ago. I was 33, and, and you probably thought I looked 23, um, I think, and uh, we've We've learned a lot, and we've been blessed a lot. And part of the part of the decision-making process was so hard because I, I've been feeling this whole time like I, I have an incredible church family here, you know. And, and I shared in my email that I had been processing, and I and I, and I heard the story on the radio. This is actually as I was driving up from Normal, and there, there was some NFL player that retired at halftime during the game and I and you know he had this big million and a half dollar sign on bonus but he just like I, I'm out I, I'm out and and I and I as I was listening to that story I, I kind of felt like you know you're like your ears get hot at least mine do because mine are big enough to get hot you know um and my ears were getting like hot and, and I was like oh I feel like this is like saying something about my situation because I just happened to flip through the stations and come across this and and I felt like, man, I that's that puts into words what I have been feeling in this whole thing of like I feel like I'm kinda like at halftime and, and, and we've been casting some excellent vision here and, and God hasn't taken God hasn't taken enthusiasm out of my heart for three lakes. Like I was kinda hoping like he would be like, Oh yeah, I just don't I, I, I don't feel the direction we're going here. I gotta step he hasn't done that. Um, he's given me a passion for this place and where it's going and for the people here. And, and so it feels like halftime. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? And Sunday and Monday, I just kind of agonized over it and didn't want to make a decision at all because it just felt like it was going to be too painful to make. Um, and I felt like I can't, I can't say goodbye to people that I love here. I just can't, I can't do that. Um, but I knew, I knew making a decision based in emotion was not what the Lord had for me. I, I knew that was not the right way to make the decision. And so I wanted to come to a place where it could be, you know, me and Jesus and a sense of peace. And wherever that peace led me, I was going to go down that road. Wherever Jesus led me, I was going to follow him. And, and so I went on a prayer retreat Tuesday morning. And one of, the, one of the passages I've been processing with all this is Romans 12. And you know, that's that great verse about discerning the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But, but I was led, in particular, to verse 3, where um, it talks about using your gifts. And, and I know one of my gifts is, is, is the gift of being a, a pastor. I, by the way, I, I don't think that's a lifelong gift. I think some people get it for a season, then maybe they're not a pastor anymore. I'm not saying that's a permanent gift, but it's a gift that I know I have right now. And I was processing Romans 12.3, where it talks about using your gifts in proportion to the faith. That the, that the Lord Jesus Christ has given you. And I thought, that's, a, that's such a strange way to say that. You know, I'm using my gifts in proportion to the faith Christ has given me. 
Like, what does that even mean, you know? And so I'm thinking about faith. I'm thinking about using my gifts and pastoring a church. And, and one of the conclusions I think I came to as I wrestled with this is I'm using my gifts in with the faith Christ has given me. So I'm, faith is believing in Christ. It's trusting in Christ. It's keeping your eyes on Christ. And so when a pastor uses his gifts, when any of us use our gifts, we, we keep our eyes on Christ. You know, Jesus, you want me to talk? I'll talk. You want me to go serve over there? I'll go over there, Jesus. You, you want me to bless these people? I'll bless them. You want me to love my enemy? I'll go love my enemy. You know, you keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you do that, you can use your gifts the way he wants you to, wherever he wants you to. And, and that's where I had to... That's where I had to wrestle with, with, the, with the wherever question. Because I know Jesus wants me to preach, and I know, he, you know, I, I know the pastoring piece, but it's the where. And uh, so as I talk about the will of God, I recognize a couple different things. One is, I want to follow the leading of Christ. That's what I want. I also know there's a human component in this, kind of like when uh, Paul is talking to the widow and first corinthians and he says she's free to marry whoever she wants as long as he's a believer you know so it's, it's kind of like there's a freedom in christ to make a choice and, and in this sense you know we humanly speaking it's like well there's we made some connections down there we have family down there uh, my folks my wife folks all of our siblings you know they're, they're all in that central illinois area uh, we felt connected to some adoptive families the staff has you know, uh, adopted children. And we felt like this connection there. Um, and so I just want to say this. There is nothing lacking that you have not given us in our time here. You know, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing lacking in the love that we have received from this church. That You could not have been better to us. This could, and, and that made the choice so hard because it's like, this family could not have been more loving to the Philias and more supportive and more prayerful and more welcoming of our ministry here. I, I hear it every week. Christy hears it every week. Uh, this is just a regular thing for us to be built up. I'm not even surprised when it happens anymore because it just, it just goes. And so I just want to say the grief this week has been so deep because we love you so much. And we've been loved by you so much. Um, and I, I didn't even want to walk through that door for a while. Because I, I knew. I kind of knew it was coming. I, I want to avoid two mistakes. Well, let me talk about a timeline first. I don't have a for sure timeline. I know that October 21st I'm traveling down. And uh, they're going to have a vote on me. Um, I expect that to go well. Um, I've already met a lot of different people, and, and that seems to be going that way. Um, I'm confident, but, you know, it's not over till you know, they vote. So um, one of the things Grace Church has been is very gracious on this transition process. Um, they said very clearly that um, I have a lot of leeway in when the start date is. So... You know, we will do a couple things in the very, very near future, in the next week or two, and that is we want to get a great interim pastor here for when I go. Um, and I've been talking to Pastor Brian Thorstead about that already, whom a lot of you know was an interim here. I'm not talking about him coming here, but he's he's working for the Forest Lakes District of the EFCA now. So, um, but, but he's like, I, I know the good guys 
from the okay guys, you know, and, and I can recommend here. Um, we'll also talk about a search committee, obviously, really soon. We don't want to belabor that either. I have flexibility. Um, I, I, I have the sense it'll be mid-November at some point. But if it needs to be later than that because of the right person coming in here to lead, I, I, I can push it out a month, month and a half, you know, ten years. No. Um, uh, no. <laughs> I did tell Christy I would try to make her laugh in this whole thing. Did that, did that help? Okay. All right. Keep going. All right. All right. Um, I can push it out. Uh, they've been very gracious and flexible. They're currently being led by their associate pastor, who is the interim pastor. And incredible guy, incredible heart, and uh, good leader for their church. Um, so I, I was saying, I was trying to get through two different, I'm trying to avoid two different mistakes as I approach, you know, the, the ending date whenever the Lord has that. And that is, I don't want to ever communicate or feel like somehow Three Lakes Church hangs on my ministry here. Um, I, I know that Three Lakes advances because of Jesus Christ. I know the gates of hell won't prevail because Christ declared it. And everything he says happens. You know, like that, that's him. He's the great shepherd. I, I'm an under-shepherd. Um, and so I never want to get off. I, I don't want any of us to get the impression that the church hangs on one person. I don't like it when mega churches go down that road. I don't like it when small churches go down that road. Um, nor, the other thing I'd address about the ego of the pastor, you know, this is a little bit of a bigger church, uh, not that big, uh, but it's, it's a little larger than Three Lakes. I think its attendance is about 300 on a Sunday. Um, I, I was told when I was a youth pastor by my senior pastor, Al Spittler, and I've never, I've never forgotten this, he said, every church, whether it's large or small, needs a good pastor. Now, when you go to conferences, they never ask the small-town pastors to speak. It's true. Um, they ask the big pastors, the big names at the big churches to talk. Uh, but he said, really, every church needs a good pastor, a good preacher. And whether you're, you know, whether you're very talented or a little talented, everybody needs a good one. And so I, I did not make this based on like, Oh, I, I get to make more money, or I get to have a bigger church, or I, you know, th- those things are not factors in my decision making. It's really the call of Christ, and again, some of this desire to be closer to family. I mean, those are some of the the key things there. Um, the other problem that I want to, so I want to avoid the thing of like making this all about me. You know, like somehow I kept this all going. It, that wasn't true. Um, I also want to avoid the opposite mistake of saying, none of it's about me, I'm nothing, and so when people, when people give me encouragements, which many of you have this week, I, I want to be able to, to live in that, you know, and like hear it and accept it, that, that, that good things happened out of my ministry here, and, and I don't have to say like, oh, it's nothing, you know, you shouldn't feel that way, it's just me, you know, um, and I think I kind of lean that way, like it's just me. Um, the reality is, when a pastor works hard, and, and I think I've worked hard here, um, that's the grace coming through the pastor. You know, that's the grace of Christ. That's Christ in me. Um, so it's Nile plus 
Jesus. And I think it's an awful lot more of Jesus than Nile. I mean, just that's where I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Um, otherwise, I don't understand. I don't understand why people have said what they've said to me. You know, it's got to be Christ in me, um, and that's also biblical. And so I know Christ has gathered a family together here, and that makes it so hard. And I know Christ has used, has poured out His grace. He's lavished His grace on me to be able to do ministry here. And I know, I, I know I can, I can, I can accept those encouragements and compliments because I know He has used me, um, and so I, I will accept that, even if I don't feel worthy of it. Um, so. I want to finish well. And so I'll say this. If, if I have, if there's anything unresolved, you know, some sort of uh, conflict that it, I, I don't know is going on and you need to talk about that with me. If I said I would do something and didn't do it, uh, to t- tell me so I can leave well, so I can leave with full integrity, so I can finish this part of the race saying I, I was faithful. Um, th- that's what I want. And, and the other thing that I want um, is I want to be able to um, express in even greater ways in the coming month, month and a half or longer that I, w- I want to be able to express well my heart for this place and this church and, and you all. I want to be able to somehow say it well to everybody that I can how much they mean to me. Um, because I'll say it again, I could not have asked for a more supportive body of believers who took on this young pastor who never pastored a, a church, um, just, you know, never walked in the shoes of a senior pastor. And um, I helped you grow, but you helped me grow. And I know that's, uh, that's an awesome relationship when a pastor can say, I'm better because of the church I pastored. And I hope that they're better because I pastored, you know. Um, and that's, that's how I feel about this place. It'll always be incredibly special and precious to me. Um, so help me end well, please. Um, and I'll keep sharing my heart. You share your heart. And um, I think that's, that's what Christ has. I think that's what I wanted to say this morning. Now I want to preach the word. So let me pray and we'll get into it. Lord, um, Thanks for helping me say that and not get too confused as I said it. Thank you for this church. Thank you for everything they have been to me. And thank you that I could be a channel for your grace. That somehow that could be, somehow that you could lavish your grace on me so that I could pastor at the place where I've been able to. I pray that you would protect this church. I pray that they would set their hope and their trust fully in Jesus Christ. Who, who is the one who birthed this church? Is the good shepherd of this church? And has plans for it that we don't even comprehend yet. I pray you would protect from our heart going into places that are not healthy for us. And whether that's 
uh, putting anyone on a pedestal or whether that's any, any negative emotions. We, we, we can walk in the sadness and we know that's good. And we can walk in the trust in you for the future. And we can walk in the peace that passes all understanding. And I just pray that this next month and a half or possibly beyond would be that these days would be incredibly special to the Philia family and to the Three Lakes Church family. And that whatever you want to do in the next, these next days, that you would accomplish it, even as you help us prepare for the next steps beyond it. I thank you for this special place. I thank you for this uh, people that are your temple that the Holy Spirit lives in. I thank you for the closeness you've created here. And most of all, I thank you again for grace. The grace that has saved us and the grace that, that moves us through every, every change, every season of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Um, Our text will begin in verse 7, but I'm going to begin in verse 1, just so you kind of get the full force of where this is going. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, there will, oh, by the way, there will not be notes going on behind me. I kind of wrestled with that this week as I was thinking about everything else. But I will have, a, I think, an easy-to-follow outline, uh, three points. It shouldn't be too, too rough. So, all right. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Speaking of spiritual gifts, by the way. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue. Uh, stature of the fullness of Christ. We'll stop there. Um, so, we're in this series on spiritual gifts, and we're in this passage on uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, and what's interesting is, Paul wants to develop this idea of, uh, like a theology of spiritual gifts. Why do we have spiritual gifts? Why did God choose to do it this way? Like, what's going on? And so he's building his case for like how spiritual gifts operate, why they're here, what they're doing. 
And he talks about Christ's ascension. So I'll call your attention to verse 7 again. Um, but grace is given to each one of us. He's talking about the grace of spiritual gifts. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, he's quoting Psalm 68. But here's, I want, I'll get to that in a minute. But here's what I want to say. Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, this will be easy. Number one, Christ is the ascender. Ascender. I didn't even look that up and I wanted to use that word, ascender. I will never use that word again, maybe. But um, Christ is the ascender. So Paul makes this big point and he says, Christ descended to the lower regions of earth and then he ascended to the heavens. Now, his main point is not about the lower regions of the earth and the descent. Although, isn't that an interesting topic? And some of you would love me to say something about it, so I will. Um, You probably can guess there's a couple different ways to understand Jesus descended to the lower regions of the earth. On the one hand, you could take the view that it's kind of like the Apostles' Creed and Jesus descended into hell. Or he descended to Hades. Or like Peter says when he announced his victory to the captives. Um, and, and, and there's that kind of that feel, right? He descended into the lower regions. Um, I, I don't hold to that. I think it's just talking about Jesus becoming, taking on flesh. I think it's the incarnation. I think it's Jesus in his, in, in being God, saying, I'm going to descend to earth. And Now, now why do I say that? I, I think it's because of the parallel. He that descended is the one who ascended. Okay, so so I see it like this. Here's heaven, here's earth. Jesus descended, and then he ascended. You know what I mean? He descended to earth, took on flesh, lived, died, and then from the same place, earth, not hell, not Hades, not not the underworld, you know, uh, he, he, he descended from heaven to earth, and he went back from earth to heaven. I think that's the parallel going on here. Now, I know... Some people might think differently, but, but that's, how, that's how I see the parallel words going on. So the one who descended is the one who ascended. So Paul's making this big point, and he's saying, if you want to understand spiritual gifts, you've got to understand that Jesus ascended back to God after he descended. Now maybe you go, well, what in the world does that mean? Why, why does that matter at all? So um, I, I think of it like this. So when Jesus ascended... He took a position of power and authority. He took the right hand of the Father. I love, I love how the N.T. Wright says it, that Jesus is in the control room of heaven. Well, I love that picture, you know, where, where Jesus is in charge of all that, that, that goes on. He is sovereign over all things. He doesn't cause evil, but he is sovereign over it. He is the king of the universe and indeed of this world. And so when we say, when we sing, he rules the nations with truth and justice, we mean it. That he does rule. Even if, even if, even if people are making bad decisions and wicked decisions, we can still say, Jesus, somehow you are sovereign over all this. You are still king. Because you ascended to this place of being king over the entire universe. Okay. Hopefully so far you're following me. And what that means is that Jesus isn't physically here like he was during his earthly ministry, right? Now, I know in a spiritual sense, I mean, stay with me here, because there is a sense when Jesus is here. Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you, you know? I'm with you always to the end of the age. So in a spiritual sense, Jesus is here. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ, which lives in us, right? So 
I'm going to return to that by the end of this message. So hold on to that. But right now, we can just say, Jesus, physically speaking, is not here. And if he was here, what would he be doing? I mean, if he was here, would he be holding massive rallies? You know, would he be going into hospitals and healing everybody? Would he be, would he be speaking to the church and calling them out on things that they're getting wrong? That's a little Revelation 1 through 3-ish, right? Um, what would he be doing? He, he definitely would be <clears throat> saying his favorite Bible translation, I'm sure, which is the, nope, not going to tell you, okay? Um, certainly he'd be doing that. Um, and he'd be saying, it's the red letters, people. It's the red, no, no, he wouldn't do that. Um, I'm not about the red letters. That's just, that's a personal hangout. Sorry. Um, but, but if he was here, he'd be saying things and doing things and correcting things and healing people and showing love. And, and he would be divisive with people in power, just like he was back then, right? Like, that's what he'd be doing. But, but, but he's not here. And Jesus says, it's good that I'm not here. It's good that I'm not here. And we're like, well, how can that be, you know? And that's what the disciples felt. Is it, how can you say it's good that you're not here? And he's like, wait, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. Um, if Jesus ascended, how is that good? And that brings us to number two. So Jesus is the ascender, but Jesus is also the giver. He's the giver. That's verse 7. Um, I'll read it again. Uh, 4-7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So Jesus is a giver. That's number two. Jesus is a giver. That's easy. You can remember that. Um, and, and in one sense, we know that that refers to the amazing grace that we sang about this morning that has saved us. Grace. But in this context... It's talking about the grace of gifts, spiritual gifts, that Jesus is a giver. Now, Paul quotes Psalm 68 here. Uh, This is verse 8. He ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So when Jesus ascended to heaven, one of the purposes behind that was he could send spiritual gifts to all of us. I want to show you Psalm 68. And you can tell me what doesn't belong here, okay? Go to Psalm chapter 68. Kind of the middle of your Bible, if you're uh, looking there. Keep your finger in Ephesians, though. Okay? Psalm 68, verse 18. Psalm 68, verse 18. Here is the quote from Paul. Whenever you see a, uh, like a quote like that, it's always good to look it up, look at the context, see what's going on. Um, this is the verse. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving, receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. So the, the picture here is of a conquering general who's just won a battle, And he's got captives following behind him. And the question, I guess, one of the questions is, well, who are the captives that Paul's talking about and the psalmist is talking about here? If the general just won the battle and he's marching into town, it's a victory parade, and he's got captives behind him, who are the captives? Two different ideas behind that. It could be that the captives are um, us. We, we were enslaved to sin. And some of the imagery of Psalm 68 
is Israel leaving Egypt. So, so that's like God's people enslaved, freed now, they're leaving, okay? Um, the, other, the other idea that could be going on here is the captives are like the spiritual forces of darkness, demons, um, all the dark powers of this world, and Jesus has taken them captive by his victory after the cross, or on the cross and after. So um, which one is it? I've kind of leaned both ways as I was studying this week. But I think, I, I feel like in Psalm 68, it, it probably would be referring to um, taking back prisoners of war, you know, re- releasing the Israelites from Egypt. You know, it's that, like the slaves are now free. The captives have been taken captive by God. You know, I, I feel like Psalm 68 kind of has that flavor. But then when I look at the book of Ephesians, like, don't you know Ephesians is so much about, like, spiritual battle and warfare and put on the armor of God and we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers of this dark world, right? I mean, there's a lot of spiritual battle stuff in Ephesians, right? And it kind of makes me think Paul would have in mind that the captives are demons and the forces of darkness. So in Ephesians, I lean that way. In Psalm 68, I lean the other way. Call me strange. That, that, that's how I see it. I, I, you know, you, you could wrestle with that too. But this is the one that caught my attention. In verse 18, it says, receiving gifts among men. Now, do you notice the different phrasing between how Paul uses it and how the psalmist says it? In Psalm 68, the victorious general, the victorious leader, gets gifts given to him. Plunder, maybe, treasure, but the gifts are given to him, and he gets them. But then, I'm done with Psalm 68, by the way, uh, back in Ephesians, it says that Jesus ascended and he gives gifts. He's giving them away. And so maybe you want to know, well, how does that work? Is it about receiving or giving? And we know it's better to give than receive, and that makes up our mind right there, right? No, I'm kidding. That's not how we make up our mind. But um, but I, I may have solved it, maybe. I was looking up a ton of cross-references, and I found a verse that I think makes sense, and it may be what Paul has in mind. Jump to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.33. You're back in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Um, see, see if this makes sense. The psalmist says that, that the leader, God, has received the gifts. Ephesians says that God gives the gifts. But then you get Acts chapter 2, and it's verse 33. Here it is. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So this is Pentecost. This is the birthday of the church. The Holy Spirit comes down on the people, and it looks like tongues of fire. So so follow me closely here. And, and, And Peter's explaining it, and he says, let me explain what's happening today. When Jesus went back to heaven, when he ascended to heaven, he was given the Holy Spirit. He received the Holy Spirit. And now he is sending the Holy Spirit on all the people. Does that make sense? So 
Jesus, the one who ascended, receives the Spirit, and he gives the Spirit to us. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive, according to the Spirit's will, spiritual gifts. He sends these gifts. They come with the Holy Spirit. They're decided, ordained by the Holy Spirit, but he sends them. So um, that means Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and he gives it, which totally justifies any regifting you have ever done in your life. I'm just putting it out there, you know. You received it, and you know you needed to give it. And you knew someone else needed it more than you. So they could give it to somebody else and needed it more than them. Regifting. It, it's spiritual. Right here. Um, that's what's happening here. Um, now, I, I don't understand that whole thing. I don't, know, I don't know what that looked like in heaven. It's like a mystery, you know? Like, what, what does that mean that Jesus ascended to heaven and, and the Holy Spirit's like being given to Christ and Christ takes his spirit and he's like tongues of fire, sending it, you know? It's pretty cool. So Jesus is a giver. Um, I'll also show you what he gives to the church. Um, we're back in Ephesians now, so hopefully you kept your finger there or your paper um, he gave gifts to men, verse 9, uh, actually verse, verse uh, 11. He gave, so we're still in that, that mode of giving, gift giving. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. I looked up all these words, I've thought about all these words, apostles, prophets, um, where am I at here? I lost it. Evangelists, and then some says pastors and teachers. Uh, there's a definite article, the word thes before shepherds and teachers or, or preachers and teachers. I, I think the idea is that is one role that, that Paul has in mind, the pastor teacher, the preacher teacher. You know, th- that is probably one role. Th- that's how I see it at least because of the word the in front of both of them, uh, one, one the. So um, I talked about apostles already last week, I feel like, uh, people that have seen the risen Christ and have been uh, sent out and, and they've started churches and they suffered and most of them were martyred. Uh, but, but these, these special guys, uh, here's, here's the reality I think about these words, apostle, prophet, evangelist. I think the one we can probably relate to most is pastor, teacher, shepherd, teacher, because every church has one. Um, maybe evangelist we can relate to a little bit because we've seen great evangelists like a Billy Graham, you know, leading a crusade and evangelizing to millions of people. Like, maybe we have a picture of that. But, but I really, I, I don't mean to take a cop out here. Like, I read a lot of different people on this, on who these people are and what these, what these positions are. And I, I don't think we have a perfect understanding of what apostles look like, what prophets look like in the early church as far as the office of that. I, I, I think we see people prophesying i think we see people evangelizing but if these are if these are official positions like a pastor teacher what does that look like exactly to be the official prophet of the church i I don't think anybody knows what it looks like exactly in the first century i mean i do know what it looks like when someone speaks what seems to be a word of prophecy today i I think i know what that kind of looks like and we're going to talk about that in two weeks um, but, but as far as these being 
authoritative positions that we're supposed to have today. Like, where's the apostle of three lakes? You know, who, who's that? Um, I, I, I don't see them as a perfect overlap here to our day today. Um, I'd be open to learning more. And, and if there was documentation or Bible passages I don't know about that explain more about what these people did, I'd go for it. But we have a lot on elders and deacons, and there's a deaconess as mentioned. I, I don't see these positions described in detail. So I'll leave that there. Um, but I think the idea being is Jesus gave leaders to the church. And one thing I'll say about these leaders is this, and you can't get around this. All of these leaders are people that minister with the word of God. Wouldn't you say? Evangelists, prophets, apostles, pastor, teachers. It's all ministry of the word. It's all founded on the word, which means whatever we do in the church has to be founded on the word of God. Because God, in his mind, when I send a leader to a church, they have to be word-based, Bible-based. has to be that way. That's what each of these positions have in common. It's a proclamation of the word. It's speaking the word and teaching it. And so, um, man, I thought about this this week and the announcement that I made. And uh, again, I, I just want to say again, what a privilege to be a pastor teacher in this place, to be able to, to take on a role of leadership of, of this church. I mean, what a, what, a, what a privilege that none of us are worthy of, including me, and yet um, that I've been able to, to do. And for the purpose of, according to Ephesians, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Which means, in no church should it ever be that the pastor is considered to do all the work. And I'm glad you haven't put that on me either. I never got the feeling from people here that, they, that you hired me, you called me to do the main work of ministry, you know, daily. I know I'm paid, and I know I'm. I know I only work one day a week on Sunday. I understand that, but you know, um, I know, I know. It's tough. It's tough being me. Um, but uh, but but in reality, I know the calling is to equip the church to do the work of ministry. It's not to call the pastor to do all the work of ministry. And I believe you have, in so many ways stepped up and served and given your time, your talents, your sweat. You put all of that into this church, this community, loving well. And I'm just I'm just like I'm glad to be an equipper in this whole thing, you know? I'm glad that I, I got to be here to, to to help promote that in some way. I wish I could have done it even more. And I hope that this sermon series this fall does it in even greater ways, as I'll talk about at the end of this message. But but that's the purpose. If, if you ever get the, the idea that the church leader is supposed to be the one doing everything, Ephesians 4 says, no, they're supposed to be equipping the church so that the church can do all that it's supposed to do. Um, okay, lastly and finally, I'm so excited about this one. Um, I've been wrestling with this all week long, and I didn't know how I was going to preach this. Like, what in the world do I say about this? Uh, but but it, it grabbed my heart. If you would look at verse 10. And the last phrase in verse 10. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens. And there's a purpose behind it. There's a point. There's a reason Jesus ascended. And here it is. That he might fill all things. The reason Jesus didn't stay on earth, one of the reasons is so that he could fill 
everything. What in the world does that mean? That he would fill everything. So this is my third point. Jesus is the filler. He's the filler. So, so, so he is the ascender. He is the giver. He is the filler. And what in the world does that have to do with spiritual gifts? I thought I was going to say this morning that, that Jesus is filling the whole earth with his glory. And I believe that. I totally believe that. But I can even get more specific thanks to Ephesians chapter 1. If you would turn a couple pages back, and I want you to put on your thinking caps and think, what is Jesus filling everything with? And why did he have to ascend to heaven to fill the whole earth? Why did that have to happen? And I think when you see this, you're going to be like, oh my goodness. What a savior. You know, so, okay, okay. So, Ephesians chapter 1, I'll take you to verse 10. Uh, Paul loves his long Greek sentences. I feel like I should start in verse 3, but I'm going to, oh, I guess I will. I'll start in verse 3. Thank you, Paul. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, including spiritual gifts, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him from before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Well, there's a period. There it is. In love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Period. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Here's verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. I'll call your attention to that little phrase. He unites all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Christ's plan is to unite all things in him. Christ as the leader. Christ as the king. King of the universe. King of the earth. Uniting all things under him. So, So part of my understanding of Jesus wanting to fill everything is this. Um, we want to see Jesus' righteous order here on earth. We know sin and evil is disordered, right? It, it, it disorders relationships. It disorders people. It ravages so much of this world. But Jesus' order, his righteous order, brings peace. It brings joy It makes wrong things right. It fixes broken things. This is what Jesus does. And he wants to unite all things under him so that you have his joy, that you have his peace, that you have everything that he wants for you. Everything will be united. And his order, his righteous, beautiful, loving order will go on. Okay? That's where we're headed. How do we get there even now before he returns? What does that look like? Jesus, you haven't come back yet. You've still ascended. We're waiting for you to descend again and to call us to meet you in the air. That hasn't happened yet because we're all still here. Um, What do we do until then? How does Jesus' righteous order, how does Jesus uh, fixing the problem of sin, righting wrongs, helping the wounded, helping the weak, how does that happen even now? And that 
is uh, verse 23. Chapter 1, Ephesians, verse 23. Oh, why don't I start in verse 20 again? Long sentences. Um, Here we go. Um, That he worked in Christ, he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So again, we're talking about the ascension of Christ, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So both ages are going on here, now and forever, okay? And he put all things under his feet. I see order there, don't you? Everything's under Jesus' feet. And he gave him the head over all things. He gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Can you gasp for a second? You know, the one who fills everything is giving his fullness to the church, which is his body, the one who fills everything. We are his body. So when Jesus wants to help someone, he sends a church member, you know? When he wants to, when he wants to show love to someone personally, he sends you to your neighbor. When he wants to get someone to the hospital and needs to get there fast, he sends you in your car. He fills everything through his church. When you use your spiritual Gifts. Um, so if you're not in the game, if you've been standing on the sideline, you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose to fill this earth with the glory of God as you act like the body of Christ. That's why you're here. Um, And when I saw that, and it was just over the weekend because I couldn't find a passage about Jesus filling everything, and I looked and I looked and I saw Ephesians 1, and I'm like, that's it. That's it. We all have things to do. Um, We all have people to love. We all have an earth to fill with the goodness and the glory of the beautiful and gracious reign of Christ. That's what we're here for. I'll say this, and I'm going to close. Um, We're working on a plan to help our church do that in greater ways here. And I've got three words, they all start with D, that that will, I think, help us along those lines. And they all have to do with spiritual gifts. Three words. You can write them down, but I'm going to keep talking about them in weeks to come. Discover, develop, and deploy. When it comes to your spiritual gifts... Discover what they are. Develop them with the help of other people in this church, with the help of ministry leaders, with the help of older believers. Develop them and deploy them. Use them. Take them into your community. Use them in this, in this building. Discover, develop, deploy. I'll be explaining that in, uh, in, in greater detail in weeks to come. But that is where we're going now. We want to do a good job of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Let me pray. Uh, Worship team, you're going to come up and sing Cornerstone. And uh, then we'll be concluded. Father, I I thank you for this good plan that your son would be physically in heaven. 
but somehow in a spiritual sense, filling the whole earth, going to, going to remote places where people have never heard the gospel, going to dark places in the United States that need light shined into them, going across the street to our neighbors, helping others, loving others, speaking, and that you have called us and sent us out to do that work, to use the gifts you've given us to fill this earth with your glory. Would you empower us to do that? And would the leadership of this church do an excellent job equipping the saints for the work of ministry? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.